Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with Patrick Green, the Executive Director and Founding Director of the Center for Engaged Learning, Teaching and Scholarship at Loyola University, Chicago. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I have found that people have done the portfolio work. Sometimes their portfolio, I mean, we obviously look at our portfolios, but what I have found is that they are just so much more articulate in how to explain themselves and sort of seeing what matters. Yes. As a matter of fact, we hear that time and time again from our students. When our students do portfolios, they will report that they are able in an interview, they are able to articulate themselves, their skills, their experiences so much better because they've worked on this portfolio. They've shared and articulated in the portfolio, their skills, their experiences. They've curated it, right? So they've made meaning of it. And then they walk into an interview situation or apply to a graduate or a professional school. They can articulate this and they are leaps and bounds ahead of other candidates because they've worked on a portfolio. And we hear that from students all the time. They'll come back and they'll share with us, you know, that portfolio I did, it helped me get this experience. It helped me get into this graduate or professional school. Um, it set me apart. I went into this interview so much more prepared because of that portfolio. So we know it has an impact, but what's so interesting is the way it has an impact. It's not, it's not that all of the sudden uh, the, the portfolio got that experience. It's that it enhanced their communication and meaning making of their skills and their, um, you know, experiences and all of the different assignments, it just completely allowed them to communicate themselves better. So I want to switch a little bit. We don't have to talk about portfolio the entire time, although I would love that with you. I feel like I can just talk about it for hours. Um, but um, I want to save uh, just a little, you know, at least I want to spend some time on talking about, you know, experiential learning and community-based learning, service learning, and so on. Um, for those who might be listening and are not familiar with all of those things, or maybe they've heard it, but, you know, they weren't personally, um, you know, have those experience, or maybe some of us, you know, they're, they just have never, they've never been exposed. What do you, what do you, because that's your job, that's your day-to-day. -day. What do you tell them? What What is so cool about these things? Why are they high impact practice and how does that relate to portfolio and the things that we talked about? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that question. So, you know, community-based learning or service learning, and I use those terms um, interchangeably, um, is a form of uh, teaching and learning where uh, you engage students in the community um, doing some type of community-based work, whether it's direct service, volunteer work, or indirectly working on a community project, then allowing the students to reflect on that experience and connect it directly back to whatever they're studying. Uh, and so service learning and community-based learning for the past three decades has been a really powerful form of teaching and learning because not only has it brought 
students learning to life. So whatever they're studying um, has been brought to life. It also has allowed the community to be seen as a really important player in the educational enterprise. So the community becomes a co-educator. And by the community, it could be a community organization. It could be members of a neighborhood um, or a nonprofit organization. Uh, And the wisdom and experience and knowledge that resides in the community is really brought to the forefront. And as students are working with members of the community or with a nonprofit organization, they're also addressing the priorities of the community. So what really makes service learning or community-based learning unique is it emphasizes both the learning of students and the priorities of the community. Uh, I think more broadly, the term experiential learning is really an umbrella term for lots of different types of um, teaching and learning. And so service learning, community-based learning would be an example, but you also have internships. You also have um, global experiences or study abroad experiences. You also have undergraduate research. So experiential learning tends to be just a broad term that encompasses um, an experience that students have um, over time Uh, And then deep reflection on that experience, Um, certainly uh, assessment and evaluation of the experience. Uh, And then uh, I think with experiential learning, always connecting it back to the topic at hand or the theme of of the course, what what is being studied. Um, And the reason that that all of these types of experiential learning are often referred to as high-impact learning, again, just as I mentioned with with learning portfolios, is because it's about deep learning, so learning that um, transfers and is integrated over time. And I think portfolios play a key role in that because of that critical reflection piece. So all of these types of high-impact learning require critical reflection, and portfolios are one of the ideal um, modalities for that that critical reflection. Um, but my life's work has been really focused on creating community-based learning, service learning, experiential learning opportunities for students. Again, I think, you know, as, as you asked at the beginning of our, our conversation, Jeff, you know, I found my intersection, my passion at that intersection of community and higher education. Um, but at that intersection, I also saw the, you know, the, the robust, um, cultural and social capital of the community, along with the cultural social capital um, of the higher education, and how both of those in in that intersection, in working together, could be elevated um, and celebrated. Um, and, and that's where knowledge can be co-created through community-engaged research or community-based research, um, through community-engaged teaching and learning. So for me, I found my passion I didn't have the words for any of this when I was going through it, right? <laughs> I I had to go through several journeys before I even had the language or the words to describe to you. This is the work. This is where my life passion is, community engaged teaching and learning and research. Um, if you had asked me that, you know, uh, 20 years ago, I didn't have that language. Um, uh, and so for me, it has been a journey as I discovered uh, some of my life passions. It has been a journey for me to then also say, 
oh, this is what I'm interested in and wanting to provide these opportunities um, for students, but also to provide these opportunities for faculty. Because I think obviously our goal is always student success and student learning, but the way that we get there is actually by working closely with faculty and enhancing the capacity of faculty in higher education. And then of course, working closely with our community partners and listening closely and deeply to the community to say, what are those priorities? What are your pressing needs? What are the assets that you wanna celebrate and elevate? And then how can we collaboratively address the world's wicked problems in order to better our local communities and address um, all of these issues, both locally, regionally, nationally, and globally? I I love that. And I want to I want to sort of look at it from a from a from an angle that that perhaps has been a um a challenge in higher education in recent years. Um, higher education has been um, under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of a, a huge microscope to to try to people are trying to figure out you know this whole idea of cost for higher education. I think that there's no arguing that higher education is expensive. Um, what some people don't know is that it's also expensive to run, to provide all these services that you just talked about. It's these, these things don't just run itself. Um, could there be more efficient ways? So I think that there might be. Uh, but having all that said, one of the things that people sometimes don't get, and I think that what you said is really pointing out the fact that you're not coming to this college necessarily just to get those listed skills for whatever major that you happen to be in. Because you can kind of easily do that. You can say, if you're going to be an engineer, here is a list of skills and sub-skills. We can sort of eventually list all of them. It's a finite number. It's a, maybe a huge list, but it's a finite number. If you divide it up into little lessons, the persons will get it, or they read enough books, they'll get all of this stuff. You know? And the same reason that we don't just say, well, stop going to school, just go to the library, it has everything. Or now in today's world, go to the internet, it has everything. Go to YouTube, it has everything. Um, and in fact, what happens to society has now sort of reacted a little bit by saying, hey, here's some boot camp, here's a, a little, you know, um, master class, and this is how you can learn how to do something, you can just skip college. And while I don't disagree that some of those things are re actually sometimes some of them are great at teaching certain skills, that higher education need to be, you know, shouldn't be misunderstood that it's only about acquiring those skills. It's about those experiences. It's also about this sort of, I love what you said about community. And on one hand, you are creating the priorities, figuring out what the priorities are in the community for the community. You're also figuring it out for yourself. Kind of like you figuring out my life's work it is, is about this and that. When does a student have an opportunity to do that if they just go to like this boot camp six-week course? Yeah. They don't. You know, that's not what those boot camps are for. They're for something else. And right. it's it's not useless at all. It's just not what higher education is about. Right. It's partially about that, but it's also about some other fundamental part of development, the human development. 
yeah. you know, for themselves and for others. Yeah. Yeah. Again, as you said, you know, higher education has been under attack. It has been critiqued. Um, and and the value proposition of, of higher education and getting a higher education degree has been questioned. And we've seen that a lot in the past several years. Um, and look, I, I have three kids, one in college, one about ready to go to college. Um, and the, my third, uh, a few years away yet, but will be as well. And, and here's what I have to say, because I'm going to speak from the lens of um, a, a scholar practitioner that works in higher education and a parent um, who's paying hefty bills. Um, <laughs> so I want to be really transparent here. Um, I think the critiques around the value of a higher education degree is... Um, actually around how it's being defined and how its value is being defined. And I think Mm -hmm. it's being defined in a very narrow way. If you're talking about um, uh, getting a job, that is a narrow definition of the whole educational enterprise um, that has existed for hundreds of years. And I would challenge that. If it's being defined um, in very specific ways with skills and certifications, that is a very narrow um, interpretation of the whole educational enterprise. It's also a very narrow interpretation of learning and development. And I would ask people to reflect on their own learning and development before they would categorize um, a degree or higher education. Um, because if you just reflect on your own learning and development, um, then th- th- that definition will broaden. Uh, because higher education is truly about young adulthood um, learning and development, or for non-traditional students um, who may go at various times in their life, it is about learning and development at a different life stage. Um, and I would argue that that focus on learning and development is, if you unpack that, is rich with a lot of different dimensions. That's a really multi-dimensional phrase that I'm using when I say learning and development. Part of that learning and development may be related to skills and knowledge that is connected to a career. But part of that learning and development is going to be all these other dimensions of what it means to be human. It may be about the community and their civic role in the community, what mm-hmm. it means to be civically engaged, what it means to be a member of a community. Um, part of that development might be what it means to be part of a certain ethnic or racial identity, what it means to be part of um, where you call the United States your home and you call another country home, what it means to be transnational, what it means to have home in multiple places. All these other aspects of one's identity are all part of that learning and development. Um, And this is beyond identity politics. This is, again, what it means to be human. And as people begin to identify for themselves the meaning and meanings that they have in life, the priorities, where they spend their time, where they spend their money, where they value and what they value, as they explore all of that, that happens in an environment in higher education. And that environment is a structured environment. It is a safe environment. It is also an environment that is built intentionally and strategically so that individuals can explore that. 
um, so that individuals can also open their minds to new frames of reference, to new perspectives. Um, and all of that is behind the intention of higher education and that that learning and development. And so, you know, for for me, when I hear the critiques around the higher education, around the value proposition of a college degree, um, however that may be defined, if it's defined economically and by price point, if it's defined by the career and job um, numbers, um, for me, part of the answer is in community-based learning and experiential learning yeah. um, because the intentionality of the connections that are created for students through uh, community-based learning and experiential learning, these are curated experiences that students can't get on their own in the same way, in the same guided and structured way. Um, and I think some people would argue with that and say, sure, a student could get an internship on their own. Yes, but is it an educational internship? Is it an academic internship that is curated, connected to a class that you see offered like at Loyola University of Chicago or at other institutions, right? So again, these are curated experiences that students can't get in other ways. Um, so what happens then is we're connecting students to networks communities, people, um, and students are connecting themselves through these, their engagement to networks, communities, people, um, institutions, organizations. And that process is where the, I think, um, output and value of higher education is just dramatically uh, increased. And, and I think that's where experiential learning plays a key role. I, I, I really, I love that. I agree. I agree with you hundred percent. I too have three um, teenagers who are um, in high school right now. So I, my, my bill is about to go up by a lot as well. Um, I, I, I really do think that there is a genuine part of um, going through these, being able to have that experience and figuring out what matters to you, what are your passion, what are the things that make you happy is, is a rather important part of the value proposition. Who gets to just do that and explore? You know, like it's hard to do that while you are working a job where it was highly demanding and sure, you may be learning that skill and you may be making money, um, but that's, that's a big part of what, you know, you're getting out of higher education. Now, it's sometimes hard to see it because it camouflages itself. Sometimes while you're doing it is not, you're not happy. You're like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, like really stressed, right? Yep. Um, but ultimately though, we, I think you and I believe in the long term, that's what's going to bring happiness to that individual is when you become you know, you go through that phase of when, just like when Patrick Green goes, went through the phase of figuring out, ah, this is what I'm about. This is what my life's work is going to be about, right? But it doesn't come for free. It doesn't come easily, at least for most people. You have to really work at it. And, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a big part of it. But I also argue that on the flip side, society needs people like this that are happily doing things that matters to the world 
in a way that is wise and that is clever, that is, you know, going to do, you know, tackle two things at once, um, that are not just taking whatever that's convention for granted. Um, right. And so, so in order for that to happen, you really need these two areas. I mean, you, you want them to be happy people figuring out what matters to them and hopefully align that in such a way that will also address the priorities of community. Um, and now you have a generation of people who are going to be knowledgeable, who are able to learn because they went through that reflective learning, critical reflection, you know, per, um, experience and, um, are willing to dedicate their lives towards something that's going to be good for the world. Um, I mean, that to me seems pretty worthwhile. Absolutely. And, and what do we know about people? We know people need meaning and purpose in their life. Um, so how do we provide space for them to explore, you know, what is meaningful and purposeful for you? Where do you find meaning and purpose? Um, and how can you connect that with your work, right? Now, for some people, they, might, they may connect that to their hobbies, to avocations, and, and they may choose to do work in another direction. That's fine. However you find meaning and purpose, make sure that that is something that you center you know, in your life. Um, and, and I think the reality is, is that we know that um, work is important also for a paycheck, for the ability to pay for the necessities in life, to live safely, healthfully, and comfortably. Um, and so the, this is in no way to dismiss the necessity of work. This is simply to elevate the dignity of work. Um, and so to allow people to recognize dignity in all work, um, you know, I always make sure and, and uh, you know, for my children growing up to make sure that they know, thank those in the service industry, because without them, we wouldn't be able to go to a restaurant, to function in an airport properly and use the facilities. Always thank those individuals and the dignity of their work allows us the privilege to use the bathroom, to sit down at a restaurant. Um, that is incredibly important for us to remember. Uh, and I think for us, elevating the dignity of work is not only about honoring the multiple functions of work across all sectors of the economy. It is also about recognizing that we hope people are able to find meaning and purpose uh, in their work and that they see it as a contribution to the larger society. However, that may be the contribution of the individual who cleans the bathroom is the biggest privilege that we have in this country to be able to utilize. If you look around the world and how others around the world live, it is a privilege that we are able to use a functional clean bathroom and it is because of our brothers and sisters working in the service industry who have taken on that job and do it well that is dignity and work it also is an example of that is meaning and purpose and we hope that individuals in all types of the service industry all types of jobs professions and all sectors of the economy may they find 
not only dignity, but meaning and purpose in their work. Um, speaking of um, sort of higher education values and, you know, and so on, there are a lot of contemporary higher education pressing issues out there. Um, certainly in the last few years, you know, we've seen um, after George Floyd, a re reinvigoration of, you know, conversations around racism, identity. Um, there's, you know, um, there are things like the Me Too movement that have also started other, you know, kind of conversations. Um, there's AI in, you know, looming over um, everyone and everywhere in the world, including education and higher education. What are some of the pressing issues that you, as um, a leader in, you know, in a prominent university, uh, what do you see um, that you can share? And what is on the top of your mind? Yeah. Uh, so thank you for naming um, some of those those pressing issues. Um, I would underscore um, a commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Um, you know, the narrative has changed significantly. We have um, been forced to reckon with racial injustice. Um, although our brothers and sisters um, whose lived experience has been one of racial injustice, um, especially um, the, the BIPOC community, I would say has been communicating this for decades we have been forced with the murder of George Floyd and countless others to reckon with with this and to face um, that racism uh, is um, an aspect of our country, of our culture, of our um, global community, although it shows up in different ways in different cultures. Um, and I think that, that within higher education, that that is something that we have to face um, and have some really uncomfortable conversations, uh, present and future. Um, so I think the reckoning of, of racial injustice uh, is definitely at the forefront. Um, I think the other element that we have to really um, reckon with is uh, the environmental uh, injustice and environmental sustainability. Loyola is a leader in environmental sustainability. Um, so I have several colleagues in our school of environmental sustainability. Um, but, you know, the climate change um, and environmental injustice that, that uh, exists is uh, certainly on the minds of this generation um, of college students and of uh, young professionals who are really trying to lead us in in change um, to address, I think, environmental injustice and and climate change issues. Um, and I think the third element that I would say is really at our um, that higher education has to to deal with is uh, you know the Rogers Park community that Loyola University of Chicago is in is a community of immigrants and refugees. It is one of the most diverse communities in 
the United States of America. Um, and so with that comes great cultural wealth as students are able to interact with members of the community um, who speak different languages, have fantastic options for restaurants from a variety of different cultures. Um, but with that comes this uh, reckoning of the fact that we are a country of immigrants and refugees and that that is part of the founding of our country. It is part of the evolution of our country. Um, and it will always be the celebration of our country as the United States of America. And how can higher education be a leader in reckoning with uh, immigrants and refugees um, in really uh, creating safe spaces and places, as well as making sure that doors are open uh, so that all of the individuals that find their way here uh, are made welcome and are provided the opportunities that we hope for our children, the same opportunities that we hope for our children. Patrick, when do you want to run for president? <laughs> you didn't realize that was going to be a practice for a stump speech, right? <laughs> Um, no, it's a, it's it's really amazing what you said. I think I think what you're saying is just um, you know these are this is why I love this idea of service learning and community based learning because these are you only get to feel passionately about these things and understand them intimately if you go out to the world and look at it. You can't learn this through. A book or watching a documentary. You have to go interact with people and you talk to them and you see them, you observe, you 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 give and then you you know you try to try try to get something back. And it's only through all of these types of experiences that you can get. Um you know, um I want to share something that I'm so glad that this is just a podcast and not like a scholarly defense because I have no idea who actually said this first. But I, I think I heard Stephen Colbert, someone from Chicago, well, at least had a, a big stint in Chicago, called Chicago, I think probably his second home or something, um, who said, I think one time he said, he was talking about service. I think he was talking about service with the great John Batiste, um, the musician who was who used to be, you know, playing on his band and now has moved on, became a like a platinum sold out artist. Um, really pretty amazing, you know, amazing guy, you know, itself. And they were talking about service. I really loved the two of them talking about this. And Stephen Colbert said uh, something along the lines of service is love made visible. Um, and it's very, you know, like you talked a lot about that learning, you know, made visible and 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 it also comes back in this circle. I mean, when you said that, I kept thinking about that little interaction, and and how beautiful that is. And I I think if that doesn't connect with people, what does? Yeah. You know, this is it. Yeah, absolutely. No. It's funny that you say that. Up on my wall, um, no. I have a sign that says, "Work is love made visible." <laughs> And that is, you know, that, that is what I believe. I mean, yeah. for me, that is, that is what this work is. I mean, it is rooted, um, uh, in faith. It is rooted in, 
you know, purpose and meaning. It is, it is rooted in belief. And, um, and I think that's why for me, community engaged teaching and learning is so important. And, um, and for me, the answer of why higher education matters. Well, um, this has been a fascinating conversation. Patrick, I feel like I can talk to you forever. And I hope that we do get to continue this again. Uh, at some point, I feel like this way, just scratching the surface. Uh, I, um, I want to thank you again for sharing all your insights, telling us about your story, telling us about you know, the origin story of how the, your, 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 your superhuman abilities come to be. And, and then also sharing a little bit about, you know, what you have found and what you have developed over, over that time. And, you know, have been able to, um, make all of the, all of, all of that possible in, in, and express that in the form of higher education with your students and with your faculty members. I think that's just lovely, uh, what a what a great great way for me to um, get inspired, and I hope everyone who's listening uh, as well. Um, are there any uh, closing thoughts that you have uh, before we we let you go? And then, uh, but hopefully, you know, have have the opportunity to welcome you back in the near future. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the time and and thoughtful questions and dialogue and and um, it has been a, a, a pleasure. And I think, you know, uh, my invitation for um, anyone listening is uh, to continue to be in process and to continue to explore uh, and wherever they may be, uh, uh, maybe try to explore something new today. That's lovely. Next time we'll talk about all the books and the articles and all the other things that you do that we didn't get to. But um, thank you again, Patrick. And let's talk again soon. That sounds great. I would look forward to it. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. This concludes our conversation. To hear our next episode, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.